Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Does this mean you're a demigod? <gasps> oh, hmm. I don't know. I mean, I, I, it feels presumptuous, right? To be like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of The Newest Olympian. My name is Mike Schuber. I'm the titular Newest Olympian. I'm a 31-year-old man who never read the Percy Jackson books as a kid, but I'm reading them now for the very first time as an adult, and I am going through the series to see if this is a book series that we've all been sleeping on as a society. And I am here joined by a very special guest who I think might answer yes, or at least would believe that they should be the biggest phenomenon in the world, which we're working to make that a possibility. But I'm very excited to be joined by Steph. Stephanie Lurie, the editorial director of Rick Riordan Presents. Stephanie, how's it going? Hi, and absolutely my answer is yes. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Yes, at the time this episode releases, I will have finished all of the main five books. And even before I finished them, I was at the point where I was thinking, yeah, I think the answer to the question is yes, <laughs> everyone should be reading these and it should be the biggest thing in the world. As we currently record this, I am on the last chapter of the fifth book. So really only four pages or so left. So I'm basically there. <laughs> you want to make them last or are you ready? <laughs> <laughs> Thankfully, and thanks to your help in this area, there are many other books for me to cover, but it would be funny if I really was trying to milk this, <laughs> as some people accuse me of doing, which is false. But it would be funny if I was like, this next episode is about page 200. Fine, <laughs> five only. <laughs> yeah, yeah we're, we're getting real deep. It's not just one chapter per episode. It's going to be a page. We'll get to a paragraph, a line, just one word. Like, ah, today's episode is about the. <laughs> Let's talk about it for an hour. Now, we're here for a special episode just to talk to you, get a sense of everything that you have done and you do for the books that are in the Rick Riordan universe and now specifically with Rick Riordan Presents. So if my research serves me correct, I believe you started editing Rick's books after the main five PJO books completed and he was just getting into the Kane Chronicles. Is that correct? Yeah, I finished the Red Pyramid with him, Kane Chronicles number one, and then went on for 13 years and really lucky. That's great. Now, was that a situation where Rick reached out to you or you were put together or was it just this perfect happenstance of you happened to be working for Disney Hyperion and Rick's PJO editor left so you needed someone new? How did it all come to be? It was more the latter. I was editorial director of Disney Hyperion and Rick was one of our authors working with someone else named Jennifer Besser who's still an editor in children's books, but she left the company and it was my job to figure out who would work with him. But before I could even do that, I heard that he asked for me. Oh. I was like, oh, how'd that happen? <laughs> <laughs> and it turns out that we're mutual friends with the author Neil Schusterman. And Neil and I had worked together a long time and Neil suggested me to Rick. So yay, Neil, thank you. Wow. <laughs> Shout out to Neil. Glad Neil made all of that happen. What work did you do with Neil? Was it just straight up editing books that they were writing? Yeah, I actually published his first book a long time ago okay. when we were both in our 20s. We worked at Little Brown together and then they followed me when I went to Dutton over at Penguin. And then he followed me to Disney as well. So very loyal guy. That's awesome. That's really cool. Now, as far as editing for a book, whether it's Neil or for Rick, is the process just 
Rick has something or the author has something typed up, they send it to you and then you just give notes? Is it like done in chunks? I have no idea how it all works and I find it fascinating. It really depends on the author. In Rick's case, he talks about the idea with me initially. It's always a great idea. (laughs) He sends the complete manuscript and it's very polished. He doesn't like to send anything in rough form. So by the time I get it, it's very easy to work with, just formatting it, looking for inconsistencies, making sure everything is clear, making sure the characters say what I think they would say in that situation, and just making suggestions to him. Sometimes I'll even get to sneak a joke in there or something. And when he approves it, I was like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have any jokes or anything that you snuck in that you're particularly proud of? Uh, I can't think of them off the top of my head. But yeah, there have been some where I just thought, like, he set it up, but he didn't bring it home. Oh. I would write, what about something like this? And he goes, yeah, sure. That's great. I love that. I love that a lot. I've only done a little tiny bit of that with script writing for one of the podcasts that I make, and I'm always down to have someone punch up a joke. So that's really nice that Rick is open to that as well. Well, sometimes you just need the fresh eye, you know, like Mm -hmm. what I think I do is pull out what's already in the author's mind, but they just didn't put it on the page. Gotcha. Yeah. And try to get into their mindset and into their voice. Do you ever feel like you need a second set of eyes for editing? Like, do you ever have someone else besides you look at it? Or do you think it's just Rick writes it, I look over it, the two of us have eyes on it, we're good? Well, that's where the copy editor team comes in. Hmm. So they also read it and look for inconsistencies and any grammatical things that I didn't catch. Gotcha. And it goes to Rick and he, you know, addresses their queries. And then it's read by a couple more proofreaders after that because you wouldn't believe how many times we've had like nine eyes on the thing Mm -hmm. including british editors who are going to publish it and and we still publish books with typos in them sometimes so (laughs) yeah i didn't want to bring it up but you have said inconsistencies a lot the biggest one i can think of is that blackjack was a a she and then now it Blackjack is a he and Rick was kind of like, yeah, whatever, which I love. I love just the like oops of it, just fully embracing we're humans and sometimes things happen when something does slip through the cracks. Is it a big deal? Is it just kind of like, ah, who cares? Do you have to ever? That one would be pretty big to try to (laughs) fix, but we try to fix things in reprint as much as possible. Okay. But sometimes when it's like a storyline thing, we just have to live with it. Do even new publishing reprints of, I guess, Sea of Monsters, do they still have Blackjack written as a she and it's just, that's the lore of PJO now? Yeah, I think so. (laughs) I think so. I love it. But that kind of goes to show, like, there was one editor for Percy Jackson and there was another editor for Heroes of Olympus. Uh (laughs) Hey, if anything, you can just stand on your high hopes. Okay, yeah, Now, what am I thinking? You didn't do PJO. I don't have to feel bad about this. Yeah, let's put that past person on blast. (laughs) (laughs) People ask, Rick, do you have a Bible of information that you can go to? And he he doesn't keep one. I don't keep one, but we'll, you know, reread things. Mm Mm-hmm. We often go to the Rick Riordan wiki page. <laughs> I was going to say, you don't have to do it now. The fans They're have great. compiled it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I look forward to the day when I'm spoiler free and I can peruse that wiki a bit more because I've had history in the past with Harry Potter wikis where just sometimes in the little bylines, they put like the most spoiler plot twisty thing about someone. Um, like it'll be like, oh, character B who dies in, you know. So yeah, I, I'm always, I'm always steering the clear. The crux is. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. Huh. So when you come in to work for Rick and his book series, he is now, I feel like at a very pivotal point in his career where the first series is complete. He's trying to do the next thing with King Chronicles Was that ever a discussion just about where he was in terms of, I don't want to just be a one and done type author. I want to make another series that can really stick. I don't want to just forever be the Percy Jackson guy. Did conversations like that ever come up? I think he really did want to try something else, you know, for his own mental (laughs) well-being. Yeah. And he took some risks there. He wrote it in two points of view. There's a 
male and a female lead and they switch off. Mm. So that was fun. And in Heroes of Olympus, it's seven points of view. So <laughs> right. he really does love to push himself and try new things. Yeah. He gets bored, he would say. I mean, look, you want to keep yourself entertained. When he did start King Chronicles, did he already know that he was going to do Heroes of Olympus in the alternating type pattern? Or was it just, we'll start with this and figure out next? I think he was really thinking, let me go to Egyptian. I'm not sure at that point he was already thinking of Heroes. Mm -hmm. But I think the Egyptian mythology is harder to research. There's, It's so ancient. There's not as great original sources that he can access. So he wanted to go back to the Greeks, but he added the Roman element on top mm -hmm. to keep himself interested. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. It's just always Rick trying to keep himself entertained, but I can <laughs> yeah. totally understand when you're in a creative field, you don't want it to feel like a slog. So right. challenging yourself can be really fun. Just to go way back to the Percy days, he really built his career by doing school visits over and over for years. And that's how he built his audience. And he became, you know, a top author, but not the mega best-selling author until the Fox movies came out. Mm. And I know he hates them. <laughs> <laughs> we wish maybe they weren't ever made, but they did launch his career in a big way. Mm -hmm. They sold a lot of books. It was really interesting to watch the sales pattern at that time because mm -hmm. the first book sold really well, and then the second, and you could just see people cycling through all five books. That's so cool. It was really cool. So then it's like, you know, how do you keep it going? How do you strike while the iron is hot? So that's, I think, when he said, maybe I could do two books a year. But I think it got really challenging after a while. Yeah, I'm glad it seems like he's in a point now where he can ease up a bit because two books a year, that sounds like quite, quite the endeavor. And when he's doing two books a year, is it one Kane Chronicles, one Heroes of Olympus? Yeah. So he's not even in the same universe when he's doing these two books. Totally. And they're complicated. Like the Heroes books were long too, mm -hmm. like 400 pages or more. So yeah, they are currently behind my laptop as I look at them as a constant reminder as their size is twice the size <laughs> compared yes. to the PJO books, which they are next to. And I realize, okay, I'm probably going to have to do more than one chapter per episode. <laughs> yeah. <probably. laughs> Unless I really want to milk it. <laughs> <laughs> right. oh, so yeah, going back and forth between those, was that ever hard, whether it was for Rick or for you, just to be going back and forth, okay, I'm in the King Chronicles universe, I'm in the Heroes of Olympus universe, or was it just simple enough to kind of hone in on whichever book you were focusing on. I found it a lot of fun. I know I would say to him often, how do you do this? <laughs> how do you switch your mindset? Because the tones are different and the character voices are so different. But he said, I don't know. I just get into the zone and go with it. But at the time, I was working on many other books at the same time. So it's not just Rick's too. Mm -hmm. but I probably had to do 10 other author's books at the same time. So I'm used to getting into another, you just, you know, put everything aside except for that project. Okay. So yeah, at that time when, at least according to your LinkedIn, which I did peruse, your first position at Disney Hyperion is that you were the associate publisher and editorial director. Yes. So was there anything else that involved aside from, like you said, working on about 10 books or so editing wise? You're helping all the other editors acquire and talking to agents and, you know, just keeping the day-to-day -day business going, doing budgets, making presentations to corporate about what publishing is, because <laughs> they don't always know. <laughs> <laughs> so there's a lot of other work and the editing is always the most fun, but sometimes you don't even have time during the nine to five day to do it. So you have to do it at home at night or on the weekend. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I 
was reading some interviews you had done in the past, and you mentioned that when you are doing work for a book, it's not just editing the text. Sometimes you are discussing the cover art, you're yeah. discussing promotional strategies. Mm-hmm. Are there elements beyond the editing that you find to be fun or challenging or exciting, even if they're not necessarily your strong suit, but you're just like, oh, I like talking with artists about the covers or anything like that? I definitely love the art direction part. Mm-hmm. I work with Joanne Hill, our creative director. She's done all of Rick's books and Sometimes we have to come up with the concept without even having a manuscript, <laughs> but Rick usually helps us with a suggestion. And we had the same artist for a long time, John Rocco. He did all the covers, but we would have a conversation with John and brainstorm, and he would do a few sketches and show us, and we went from there. But he's really a brilliant creator himself. Yeah, the covers are really nice. I feel like every cover that I've seen for the main PJO ones, I know the new ones I think are really cool. Uh, they yeah. all look fantastic. Yeah. Victo is really fun to work with too. Yeah. She's the new covers. Yeah, those new covers are quite nice. Quite, quite nice. Rick really likes them because they're not character focused. Right, yeah. He likes it when the reader can apply their own imagination to the characters. Yeah, are sometimes those decisions out of his hand? Because I feel like some of the reprints very much seem like a guy wearing an orange shirt, holding a sword, and then there's text behind him. I guess are there sometimes where, whether it's regional or publishing company-wise, or they're like, this is what the cover has to be? Well, we have a cover committee. It's people from sales and marketing, as well as editorial and design. And we all talk about what we think would be best for the market. And But we do give a lot of weight to Rick's opinion because he's such an important author for us. But he has 41 foreign publishers and I don't think he works with all of them on their covers. You know, I think that's where you might see some of the weird ones like the Minotaur and Tidy Whiteys. (laughs) The one that I have the biggest confusion on is I think it's one of the European ones, maybe the UK edition. Sea of Monsters is just a big red dragon. And the whole time I was like, who is this? Like, <laughs> I read this thing cover to cover. Who is that? Now, something that I've also been fascinated with on the covers, and I think, again, this is not something that was on the main one, but has found its way into some other ones. When there's things on the cover Obviously, you have Rick's name, you have things like best-selling author, but then you also have half-boy, half-god, all-hero. Is that something that is just like particular publisher wanted it? Is that something Rick went in? I'm always intrigued by it. Okay. So we often, not for Rick's books, but often our committee will say, especially with YA, this book needs a tagline because the title is a little vague, you know? Mm -hmm. But I have noticed that Rick's British publishers like to use them, especially that one. Yeah. Um, It's it's just a different approach. Yeah. There's that one. And then I believe one of the other ones, and I forget where it is, but I think one of them has Half Boy, Half Got All Hero. And then I think under it, I think it's a Heroes of Olympus one. It says something like Rick Riordan, Epic Stories, Epic Adventures or something. So like Rick gets his own tagline too. That's pretty cool. Interesting. Yeah. Overkill, maybe? No. <laughs> <laughs> Look, everything needs zingers, zingers, zingers. We got to bring people yeah, in. No, it's all about that sound bite and trying to get people's attention. Yeah. I mean, it's tough. It's it's tough. But I think that you do a good job with the titles and the covers. And to transition into Rick Riordan Presents, one that I think is so good. And I don't know when I'm going to cover this book because it might be a decade from now. But one in particular that just has caught my eye. Tristan Strong Punches a Hole in the Sky, I think is the greatest title of anything I've heard ever. Like, it's just, that is so captivating. I don't need to read the back cover. I don't need to see the picture. It's called Tristan Strong Punches a Hole in the Sky. Where do I sign up? Great. Well, that was all Kwame and Balia. That's all the author. That's so cool. Yeah. But I wondered if you were going to mention that one because the cover is so strong, the art. Yeah, the the art on that one is really cool. Of course, I'm trying to stay spoiler-free with these things, but I do know that exists, and it does sound fantastic. When someone comes to you with the idea for a title, if they have a strong title like that, even if it's unconventional, do you just kind of roll with it? Do you have to try to talk to them about what title might be more sales-driven, like you're saying, with the marketing team? Sometimes. I think we've been pretty lucky with the Required and Presents books 
that the authors had a good grasp of what they wanted to do. And many of them were inspired by Rick and how he titles his things, you know, a person's name and the blank, blank, blank. (laughs) Yeah, main character and the noun of noun. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Now Sales is telling us that the accounts are sick of those. But that's because everybody ripped us off. Okay. I was going to say, it does feel like a lot of books are doing it now. But it does also kind of feel like at the time, there weren't that many books doing it. I think you all are safe because I think the new one that I've seen a lot of is it's just a noun of blank and blank. So mm-hmm. a song of ice and fire, a, a story of thorns and hearts, you know, like it's like all a crown of. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Off on a crown. <laughs> yeah. I feel like you could play a game show of is this a real book that exists or did okay. we just <laughs> spin a word wheel? But yeah, yeah. I, that is tricky when you are one of the writers that sets the tone of something that becomes a theme or a shtick. You can't really go against it, especially what you're doing right now with Chalice of the Gods. Like, it's the sixth book in the series. So, like, you have to follow that format. Right, right, right. But to be really technical, he's 16 years old in this book. So, it's not really book six. Like, it's not going to take place right after. Yeah, I am excited to eventually get to it. And I the question of when will I read it is becoming confusing. But I, I also don't want to know. So don't answer me. <laughs> I'm just. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, isn't it doesn't come right after Trials of Apollo. It's okay. somewhere in the middle. <laughs> That's OK. Good to know. Good to know. I will file that away <laughs> in terms of timeline. <laughs> but yeah, I guess it is the what I should have said. It is the sixth, I guess, book that's called. Percy Jackson and the Olympians. (laughs) Like, it's hard. We haven't labeled it books on purpose. That makes sense. Because we don't want people to think it's, you know, continuation right after book five. But it's Mm -hmm. hard. Right. It's it's a beautifully messy timeline of things. I have (laughs) had people such as my editor, Sherry Guo, who is very knowledgeable in the whole franchise, put together a document for me just to make sure I don't screw stuff up that basically has books and then in brackets will be like what universe they're in because I know there's even crossover books. Like I think the Demigod Diaries is like PJO and Heroes of Olympus. So I can't read that one until I've read a certain number of Heroes of Olympus books because I don't want to get spoiled. Like it's a fun little adventure just to see all the big crossover and i feel like there's probably an image somewhere with like a multi-circle venn diagram of all the universes yeah i think we did make something like that for readriordan.com i think (laughs) a simple guide and then there's 70 million circles exactly it was really hard to capture even on legal size paper (laughs) (laughs) i love it i love it that just continues to draw the similarities between as i keep saying on the podcast the percy jackson universe and then the kingdom hearts universe which is no stranger to spinoff games and timelines and crossovers it's fun well that's how brilliant rick and i would say his wife becky have been in managing this whole ip and how to make things cross over i'm very excited to figure out how it all works Hello and welcome to the mid-roll break for the interview. Now, this is the first time that we've done an interview, so we have to name our mid-roll break here. So since it's an interview, I think we should call it interview mission. Aha, it's like an intermission for an interview. Let's talk about some stuff with the podcast. First and foremost, we've got new merch. That's right, baby. We've got new merch. And the main thing I want to tell you about is that the camp regular person shirts are live. That is correct. The camp regular person shirts are live. They are a beautiful orange. They have a circular little Greek ring with a plain horse inside of it that says regular Long Island, regular New York, and camp regular person at the top outside of the circle. They are wonderful, and they are designed by Kelly Schubert, and they look fantastic. And it's exactly, canonically, what the camp half-blood shirts turn into when they go into the mortal world, and the mist makes things look a little bit different, because it would raise way too many suspicions if they had a camp half-blood shirt out in the wild. So if you want to pre-order your 
camp regular person shirts. You can do so right now at the newsolympian.com slash merch. The other items that are live in the merch store are stickers. One of those stickers is a new TNO sticker that previously I had only been selling on tour, but now we are selling in the merch store. It's got TNO on it saying TNO, not the News Olympian. It's got our abbreviation and a trident, some other good stuff there. Nice little rectangular rounded edge sticker. And then we have the other tour stickers that we had been selling for the individual tours. But I will say, if you go to bit.ly slash TNO sticker, you can get some of those stickers for a cheaper price because you don't have to pay shipping and all of that. So that could tickle your fancy. So if you want to see all the merch stuff, go to the slash merch. And if you want to see some stickers that you can get for a little bit cheaper by buying them directly from me, you can go to bit.ly slash TNO sticker, all lowercase. Now, speaking of live shows, we just had the show in Vienna, Virginia, the DC show where we went over the Percy Jackson Ultimate Guidebook. It was so much fun. Thank you so much to everyone who came to the show. That episode will be a blast whenever it makes its way onto the feed. And we've got two shows coming up in October. We've got a Philadelphia, aka Doylestown show, and then a New York City show. Philly will be on October 21st. That's a Saturday. And then New York City will be on October 22nd. And that is a Sunday in Philly. It'll be Stephen Para and me and Adam Amawala talking about the first Percy Jackson movie. And then in New York, we will be continuing to talk about the first Percy Jackson movie because there's no way that we can get through all of our gripes and grievances that we have with the film in just two hours. So there will be a continuation of our coverage of this movie in New York City. That will be with Adam Amawala and Sequoia Simone. So it will be a very fun time. You can get tickets to both of those shows right now at thenewsolympian.com slash live. I'm very excited about the shows. We're also going to have a documentary crew filming the show. So if you want to be a part of history, you should come through because those shows will be documented and you can be immortalized as being at the show where they filmed the TNO live show documentary. Whoa, oh my gosh, what an opportunity. And a programming note, we will be back with our book five episodes starting next week. Just a reminder that October was going to be one of those months where there are five Mondays in it, so I took a week off. Instead of taking a week off, I present this episode to you, and then there will be four more book five episodes to finish out the month. So don't worry, you're still getting the same amount of content. You're actually getting more content. You're welcome. And speaking of you're welcome, I would like to say thank you to all of the folks who are supporting on Patreon. We have so many folks that have joined recently. We're still doing our I only say 50 per mid-roll break because I don't want this to drag out too long, but so many people joined before we did the stream, which you can still watch at thenewslimited.com slash Patreon, but I want to give a shout out to the folks who have joined most recently, so here's 50 more people to thank. Shout out to our newest mega god tier patron, Katharina Matuza. Shout out to our new super god tier patrons, Taylor McDonald, LaRose Goddess, Michael Walter, and Dakota McCormick. Shout out to our newest god tier patrons, Bryn, Daisy, Karen Wang, Mermaid Tanzanite, Aino, and Stefania. And shout out to our newest demigod tier patrons, Montana McGinty, Alyssa O'Brien, Brenna Smits, Zoe Sobe, Leah 381, Gail Trimble, Stephanie Hinklin, Jonathan Delgado, Hardy Family, Hedda Dvodskog, Paige of Aphrodite, Annika, Corinne Brinnick, Zach Digman, Jen Hughes, Peyton Campbell, Teresa Klanderman, Julia Jordan Wood, Diana Agor, Kara, Sabri Pose, Mallory Williams, Lisa T, Brenda Haybear, Kate Schneider, Not So Wise Girl, Bethany Davy, Jillian, Elise Roberts, Yornhide132, unless that was a typo for Ironhide132, Johnny Gons, Kira, Juliana, Ilana Rivas, Austin, Amelia Walker, OTP underscore Drary Forever XD, Jordan S, Silliest of Geese, Maisie Clegg, Marika One, Carolina Nowak, Lucia Ramirez, Hurtado, Jamie Sorensen, and The Volcano Jr. And also name corrections for Jake Butcher and Katie Sterren. Thank you all so much for your support. May Hestia bless you that when you are using a gas grill or any sort of flame-based cooking apparatus, that you get it just at the right amount of flame. Now, if you're all caught up on the new Olympian and you're looking for a new podcast to listen to, I make a whole bunch of podcasts, and I think they're very good. I'm an independent podcast boy, and I think you would like the other shows that I work on. One of the shows that I work on is a show called Horse. I co-host it with my buddy Adam Amawala, who I'm doing the New York and the Philly shows with. It is a basketball podcast that is created for anyone to enjoy, whether you are already a fan of the NBA and slash or the WNBA, or if you're new to basketball, we try to remove all of the gatekeeping so that we can welcome people into following this silly sport that has lots of drama around it. It's a great time to join now because the WNBA finals are about to happen. We're going to have an episode where we talk about that, and the NBA season is in the offseason right now, and there's lots of dramatic trades happening, so we're talking about that as well. Great time to get in. We talk about NBA history. We talk about NBA current events. We talk about basketball history. We talk about basketball current events. It's silly. It's goofy. And we have a lot of fun interviews as well. So that podcast is called Horse. You can listen to it wherever you get your podcasts by searching for Horse or going to our website, horsehoops.com. Now, before we wrap up here, you're going to hear words from a few sponsors who make it feasible for me to be a full-time podcaster. Some of those ads will be read by me. Others of them won't. The ones that are not read by me are inserted locally. So if you live in Washington, D.C., don't be surprised if you hear an ad for Call Your Mother, the local bagel shop. I don't think you'll hear an ad for them, but if they found their way to sponsoring the show, that would be fantastic. Their bagels are very good and they're not paying me to say 
is. Anyway, once those ads are complete, we'll get back to this episode of The Newest Olympian. This episode of The Newest Olympian is brought to you by Tap for a Cause. Now, we've learned from this interview that Uncle Rick does a lot of good things. He puts a lot of good into the world, and that's fantastic. And maybe you want to put some good into the world, but you don't want to do that much stuff. Maybe you're like Uncle Rick and you're very busy. Well, there's a way that you can put good into the world that is very simple and does not take a lot of effort, and that is Tab for a Cause. Tab for a Cause is something you can install in your internet browser. You go to tabforacause.org slash TNO, and in just a couple of clicks, you can get it installed. Every time you open a new tab, you get a picture of a pretty either architecture or nature background. I just opened a new tab, and there's a very pretty valley with water in between. Maybe it's New Zealand. I'm not sure. There's clouds. There's sun rays coming through. It's very pretty. It says the time. It says the date. And then it's got something in the top right corner, hearts. Oh, I can donate hearts to a charity of my choosing. I currently have 454 hearts, so I'm going to donate them right now. And I'm going to donate them to water.org. It provides safe water and sanitation solutions that give community that give communities health, hope, and a future. So I'm now supporting water.org. And every time you open a tab, you get a heart. And then boom, you get to donate those hearts to a charity. And that allows Tab for a Cause to know where to give their funds. They raise the money through ads. You might see some ads on your new tabs when you open them, but those ads raise money for charity. So to get that installed, you just go to tab4acause.org slash T-N-O, T-A-B-F-O-R-A-C-A-U-S-E.org slash T-N-O, and you get it installed. And then boom, you're putting good into the world in a very simple way just by using the internet, which you were going to do anyway. So look at you. You're just like Uncle Rick. Wow, you've done it. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games. I heard you say recently that you wish he would write an all-humor book. Yeah, I think it would be really good. Does that exist? Magnus Chase is the closest you're going to get, I think. Okay, cool. I was already <laughs> really excited about it, but now I'm even more excited. I, he's very funny. Like, he I think he could truly just write a straight-up, like, this one's for giggles, guys, book. Yeah, totally. <laughs> so, with Rick Ryden Presents... Rick says that that is a way for him to kind of give back for a lot of the luck and the good fortune that he's had to be in the position where he is now. He wants to give writers, especially writers from diverse backgrounds, a wider audience. Is that something that you were passionate about that led you to be the now editorial director of that publishing wing? Well, here's what happened. We went to Rick and said, would you like to have an imprint at Disney? Basically, to just recommend writers that you like, and that way we can give other authors a boost. He said, oh, no, no, I'm just way too busy. He was just coming off writing two books a year. And I had also asked at work if I could just be dedicated to the authors and not be doing the management stuff. Mm -hmm. So they were great about that and let me become like editor at large it's called so I can really just focus on what I love to do then I went on vacation I was in Rome and I get this email from Rick saying you know I've been thinking about the imprint thing and here's how I'd like to do it and he laid out the whole idea for helping authors who are underrepresented talk about their mythologies Because he's always asked to write, could you write about Chinese or could you write about Korean? Mm -hmm. That's not his expertise. He doesn't feel he's the right one to do it. And he wanted to help other authors as well. He saw authors that he really admired incredible talents starting Patreon accounts because they just couldn't get a big enough advance. And he said, this is wrong. You know, we should be able to help people. 
we went to him with the general idea, but he made it the specific idea. That is so cool. I really love that. I love that not only is he being self-aware and recognizing maybe me, white guy Rick Riordan, shouldn't be <laughs> writing the Chinese mythology book, but then also to try to give people a bigger platform. That's fantastic. I feel that way sometimes with podcasting where I just try to scream from the rooftops for some of my friends who are making incredible shows that don't have as much listens. Like I'm like angry. Like, why aren't more people? Li I don't get it. Like this show's so good. Everyone should be listening to it. So that's really cool that Rick was able to do that as well. And I guess that's the start of it. But how did it then develop into the big imprint that it is today like clearly it's been successful there's so many different books in the series now and it seems like from what i've heard all of the books are fantastic he had built such a great platform he had such credibility with teachers parents librarian booksellers that everyone was like give me you know <laughs> whatever you have give me it has his name on it <laughs> good housekeeping seal of approval basically but so we came up with a creative brief, like what would these books be like? We wanted to make sure they read like a book that a Rick Riordan fan would enjoy. Fast paced, funny, lots of action. One character who makes a lot of mistakes, but <laughs> becomes a hero in the end, you know, the reluctant hero kind of thing. So we put that out there in the world and some authors saw the news and said, oh my God. I'm going to write for that imprint. They were just the right age. They'd grown up on Rick's books. Cool. And wanted to try it. So the first thing we got was 15 pages of a book called Aru Shah and the End of Time by Roshni Chakshi. We read just those 15 pages and we're like, we have to get this. We usually have to buy a new author's book on a full manuscript, but it literally sparkled mm. and it made us laugh so much. And we loved this character who was a big liar and gets in big trouble. And, you know, I got that pitch first. We loved it in house, sent it to Rick. He loved it too. And we made the offer and we got it. Other agents started coming to us. We can't take anything that's unagented for legal reasons. So everybody has to submit via their agents, but we started to build a community among the published authors. Everybody got each other's books. We had events with them together. So we tried to make it into a family and they're just all really great people who want to help each other and they're all good natured and good humored. And so I just feel really fortunate that it worked out that way. And of course, there's Rick. Yeah. Who's been this great cheerleader. He's been really helpful to the authors. He gives them notes, but he always says, this is your book. I'm just showing you things that stopped me or I had questions about, but it's your decision whether you want to even follow these or ignore them. Like He doesn't tell them what to write or take them in a different direction at all. That's so cool. Yeah. I mean, I think that's the right approach. You don't want it to feel like I think he even says this on his blog post. You don't want to feel like I'm Rick Riordan's ghostwriter or I'm a Rick Riordan assistant. It is still their book. He is just kind of showing them the ropes. Yeah. And it, I just feel like so lucky that he's put so much trust in me and in these authors. And I think we do our best work because of it. Yeah, because you're able to truly make this its own standalone book. And sure, it's Rick Riordan Presents, but it's not, you know, Rick Riordan very heavy-handedly presents. Right. <laughs> and, you know, I wanted the books to succeed on their own, but I also wanted to make sure that nothing bad splashed back onto Rick. You know what I mean? Yeah. So we just worked really hard to make sure they all shone. <laughs> That's great. And I think that it's really nice that everyone involved is also wonderful. And we were talking about this a little bit before we started recording, but I think it's just so pleasant that everyone from you to Rick to Becky, everyone behind the scenes seems like a really nice person. And then all these other artists and now the authors and everyone else involved in Record and Presents seems like a nice person. So we have our extended universe of characters in PJO, but now we have this extended universe of nice people that all work together. It's just so enjoyable. And I think the thing that surprised Rick and me the most is all but one of the books 
became a series. Okay. That's a lot of series. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that just is a representation of the success. You know, if if the book is so good, people are going to want more. Not even to say that the one that isn't a series, I don't know what the reasoning is, but you know. Yeah, that was just the author got. She became really successful on the adult side. Hey, well, <laughs> good for them. That's cool. <laughs> yeah, we've seen almost all of them got later deals for YA or adult. A lot of them got movie options. Like, it really was a springboard for them. Good. That's nice because, I mean, that's kind of the whole point of it. So, you know, I guess it would be like a parent seeing their child go off into the world, Absolutely. you know. <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, that's really yeah, cool. There was none of this, how dare you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it does seem like he's got the right approach and you and everyone else behind it has the right approach of this is why this thing exists and you're very much setting people up for the future. Like you said, the whole point is to try to get people more notoriety, give people the platform, and then they can go on to do bigger things. Like, we're not even bigger things, but just more things, you know, writing something else, switching over to script writing. And I really love the way it's exposed kids of all backgrounds to other mythologies. Because mm -hmm. it was always about Greek or Egyptian or... Norse, it was never about these other cultures, and they're fascinating. And it's really interesting to see how they overlap, too. Yeah, see the similarities between them, just to kind of show our mythologies can be the same. We're not so different, you and I, as people as well. Yeah. Like, everybody has a thunder god, it seems. <laughs> yeah, there's a sun guy, there's a thunder person, <laughs> there's a rain lady, yeah. <laughs> So I was doing some other research about some of the other work that you've done. I saw early in your career, you did some editing work for Matt Christopher, and I loved Matt Christopher books as a kid. Aww. Aww. The kid who could only hit homers, little lefty, oh, loved them. What was it like for you to edit a sports book? Do you have a sports background or when I got to sports stuff were you just like, sounds good to me? I haven't had a sports background beyond just being a fan of some teams and hitting a softball or two in my <laughs> junior high. But I would say that I really cut my teeth as an editor on Matt Christopher. He was the first author that my boss said I could try. So I did, you know, a line edit under supervision. And then she said, okay, you can have him, basically. Cool. He's such a sweet guy. And the books were pretty self-explanatory. You didn't really have to have an in-depth knowledge of sports <laughs> yeah they all had these timeless themes as you know yeah oh, i was not the biggest of readers as a kid but those books drew me right in so that's exactly what they were for people like you that nice <laughs> where you know books weren't your thing maybe but sports Exactly. Well, that was the thing. And I'm glad that it has led me to the position I am today. Otherwise, this wouldn't be my job and we wouldn't be talking. But I just didn't enjoy the high fantasy stuff of it all. And I wanted to see books where I felt like I could be the main character, just like I could see myself in the person we're following. So I tried Lion, Witch, in the Wardrobe and just I didn't. Mm -mm, it didn't stick. But I loved Matt Christopher books because I played a bunch of baseball growing up. So that was easy. And then Holes by Lewis Satchar. That was just that was the biggest one for me. I just absolutely loved it. Definitely. I remember reading that with my kids. And oh, so good. Still so good. And I'm glad that I didn't even know the Percy Jackson books existed because I totally could have seen myself in the main character. Like I totally would have been on board. So I'm glad it all worked out the way it did. Obviously, it would be also cool to have these books be a part of my life earlier, but I'm not going to argue with the results where we're at right now. It's pretty cool that I get to talk about them professionally. <laughs> Does this mean you're a demigod? <gasps> oh, hmm. I don't know. I mean, I, I it feels presumptuous, right? To be like, yeah. <laughs> I once went to a signing of Rick's and a girl came up to him crying, crying, crying and said, I really wish I had ADHD so that I could be a demigod. <laughs> and <laughs> he said, don't worry, we're all demigods or, you know, something yeah. like that. But that was so interesting. Yeah. <laughs> I dyslexia. <laughs> I mean, hey, it's compelling books. You want to feel like you can be one of Percy's friends. But I think, and this is what would have drawn me in 
as a kid and certainly drew me in. The first page of The Lightning Thief where Percy Jackson's like, don't read this book. Don't be a demigod. This is the worst. It's so powerful. It's so good. Absolutely. So another thing I'm fascinated by when you talk about different publishing companies, different translations, stuff like that, something that I always thought is interesting and I want to dedicate a full episode to this in the future is there are certain things that have to change language-wise, but even if you have a book in a different country, like the brand of soda in Sea of Monsters goes from Dr. Pepper to 7-Up. Are you ever part of those conversations where it's like, hey, in Germany, no one's going to understand this, so we got to change it? I find those to be really intriguing discussions. Yeah, those are all separate companies from ours, and the rights are controlled by Rick and his agent. Okay. So we're not part of the deals or anything. But with the British editor, we've had conversations like, would it be okay if we called this a jumper instead of a sweater? Or sure. like, yeah. <laughs> Are there certain things that Rick has to say, it's actually important that this thing stay this way because it's relevant or anything where it's like, absolutely don't change Dr. Pepper. It has to be Dr. Pepper. I will not stand <laughs> for Percy would. drinking otherwise. So I don't know if that was what Dionysus was drinking, but I think that would have to be Diet Coke. That was always. Diet Coke. Yes. Okay. okay. So that's like <laughs> a, it's always got to be, I mean, cause that, I yeah, think so. yeah. Cause that's like a personality thing. Yeah. And when he makes jokes, they don't always translate. So, mm -hmm. you know, in the Percy books, he makes the joke about D-A-M all the time. Mm -hmm. That damn cat. Or mm -hmm. Part of that was an inside joke because, you know, Scholastic won't take a book if it has swear words in it. Uh. It was kind of a way to get around that and make fun of it. And I think some of the foreign publishers are like, this was a misspelling. No, 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 no. <laughs> Keep it the way it was. <laughs> that is funny. Or they'd have to come up with something else, you know, because that wouldn't make sense in their language. Or... Yeah. I feel like with the damn joke, I definitely had people who had read the book in other languages because I'm very fortunate. A lot of my listenership is international. So I get to hear this perspective. And I think it was a German listener who was like, oh, thank you for explaining this joke in English. They yes. kept talking about whatever the German word for damn is. And I didn't understand why they kept saying it so many times. <laughs> yeah, I just had to explain a joke in Chalice to an Indonesian publisher the other day. <laughs> <laughs> always fun. All, jokes are always really good when you have to explain them. Then they get even funnier. They start out so earnest, these other editors. Like, no, 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 no. <laughs> Put your earnestness aside. <laughs> well, there's even some jokes that it's just the way language works. It doesn't fit. Like in the second book, you have the guinea pig and then pig thing. It's kind of the joke of Cersei turns people into pigs in mythology. So let's make them guinea pigs in the book. And that just doesn't seem like a joke in another country. It's just, oh, we call a pig this and we call a guinea pig yeah. that. Pavy or something. Mm -hmm. Yeah, some other word. And then I believe it's... In the third book, when you have Mrs. Gottschalk, you'd have to change her name because it wouldn't be a joke of because Percy even calls it out as the narrator. He goes, oh, Gottschalk, really? A teacher named that? Come on. So there's a lot of different things you got to do. Yeah, I'm sure things like that are run by Rick through his agent. OK. Mm -hmm. And then I guess as you and Rick are working on these books and they start to become even more of big things with the movies and the sequel series and everything coming out. Did your approach to the books ever change just from, say, book one to book five of Heroes of Olympus, where it's just, this is so much of a bigger thing, we have to change how we work on this just because of the phenomenon of it all? I could see where you might think that and where one might get like, I can't even touch this because it's gold and mm -hmm. he's so big and but he would not stand for that <laughs> you know he would want me to treat every book just like i always have i feel like that's something that has to be really hard as being an editor you have to give feedback and be able to say do this don't do that change this don't change that but then at the same time obviously you and rick are close and you, and you have this good working relationship how do you toe that line between giving direction, but not seeming like overbearing, micromanaging to where Rick is like, I don't want to deal with Stephanie anymore. Give me a new editor. That's my ultimate fear. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. He's so trusting and everything comes in in such good shape that that's never been an issue. I think he gets very tough feedback at home. Okay. 
and that he he likes that. <laughs> so probably in comparison, I seem like I have kid gloves on. <laughs> I'm usually just writing things in the margin. Like lately, I've been actually changing a line and going something like this instead. And he'll just go, great. Cool. But it's usually just a question like, don't you think Frank should be in the scene? And, you know, Grover's been really quiet here. Mm. What's he thinking? Okay. That kind of stuff. That's cool. I like that. It's more of the mindset as opposed to the particular nitty gritty of like change this to a different adjective. Yeah. And he's so good at word choice. I don't usually have to do that. Okay. He might repeat himself and then I have to think of other words. Like <laughs> it's funny how that can happen to an author. They just keep using one word through the whole manuscript and will say, Did you know there were 52 instances of allegory or something like that? <laughs> <laughs> I run into that sometimes when I'm taking notes for these episodes. I don't want to keep saying the same thing, whether it is a particular word or a lot of times I find myself trying to say a lot of different versions of said. So it's like, oh, said, told, stated, replied, retorted, asked. <laughs> <laughs> well, nowadays they say don't bother with that. Just use said. Or try not to use speech tags at all. It's interesting. Mm -hmm. I remember starting out a long time ago, we had to think of different speech tags all the time. Yeah. I mean, it's also you even get into the specifics of like, what is a yell? And then what's a bellow? I, I see that Rick likes to use bellow, which I think is a real fun one. But uh, <laughs> we get some bellows. We get some yells. You get some screams. It's all ah exclamation point sentence. Which word do we use? This one is funny. It's kind of new, but a lot of authors will use hiss. Oh. Like, be quiet, she hissed. Ooh. And you can hear that, right? In the, mm -hmm. You could hear someone hissing those two words. Mm -hmm. But copy editing will say, there's no S in be quiet. Oh, yeah. So there's nothing to hiss. Ah. So <laughs> now I look out for that. That's, yeah. No, that's it. I didn't even think of that. That's really smart. Another one that feels along these lines that I'm always interested by is the use of italics. Because I feel like italics can become so many different things in the books that I've read so far. Sometimes italics is emphasis. Sometimes italics is cursing in ancient Greek. When you are using formatting things like that, is that something that you have to discuss as well of like, uh, maybe italics here or you don't want to overdo things like using caps lock are those also things you're trying to think about when it comes to editing? I do a lot of formatting and he's very, Rick's very open about, you know, take it. He doesn't care about that as much as the story. Mm -hmm. And then copy editing will refine it further. Like they'll say, we really should use italics every time you're doing telepathy, mm. et cetera, et cetera. But we don't like to use long passages of italics because it's hard to read, turns off kids. So. Yeah. Good to know. Good to know. So just to sort of wrap things up here, when we were messaging, you were saying scheduling wise, it should come to a point where you were done doing, I think, Sun and the Star book promo stuff. And now Chalice of the Gods is coming out. When it comes to the promotion aspect of these books, are you on the book tour? What kind of stuff are you doing when it gets to a point where the book is done? Now the book is coming out. Yeah, I work on the content for Reed Riordan with their writer so we come up with the concepts the writer writes it and I edit those posts and then I help plan the tour I figure out what the format might be this time and do a draft of a PowerPoint presentation send it to Rick for his his approval or his editing on the last tour I was a character who interviewed Rick and Mark on stage fun so I have been known to be a fool <laughs> in full costume and accent. <laughs> amazing, amazing. And those tours have really grown because early on, Rick was doing individual signings and he was giving out T-shirts and stuff like that. And now, just because of the popularity from what I saw online when I was seeing if I could go to any of these, but then people are like, don't go because of spoilers. But it seems like now it's just kind of like they're so big. It's like tickets are going to sell out don't have the time to do individual signings. What was it like to see those events grow from more smaller things to huge sellout stadium shows effectively? I remember when it changed because he had an event up in the Seattle area and he <laughs> he entered the event by water <laughs> on this boat and then they 
brought in past this huge line of fans. He sat under a tent outside and the fans had to wait maybe two hours to get their book signed. Wow. He didn't have enough time to really deal with them. Mm-hmm. Like he'd say, hey, thank you for coming. I love your costume, Rick, you know, and sign his book. He felt after that experience that it just wasn't a quality experience for the fans, that they're just waiting so long for very little. Sure. I think fans are devoted enough to want any time with him. Right. But I totally understood why he made that decision. And I think now it really works because they get a book signed before they even get into the building. And then they get to see him do his thing. They get to ask questions. And then the evening's over. They get a T-shirt. Okay, so the T-shirts still are a thing. They're like rock band tour shirts now. Oh my gosh, (laughs) that's so fun. That's so fun. Yeah, I did see, and I have it saved on my computer because I think it's great. It's a photo of Rick fighting a different Rick. And he's wearing the orange Camp Half-Blood shirt and then the purple Camp Jupiter shirt. (laughs) And I, I saw that. I don't know how I stumbled upon that promo image at one point, but... It's high quality, high quality stuff. The power of Photoshop. But that was yeah. That was around the time when it started to get. To <laughs> that was the <laughs> defining moment when it crossed the threshold and the events jumped the shark. <laughs> oh man! Well, that's so fun. This has been so lovely to chat with you. I do have one final question. Twitter is how we interacted. Your profile picture is a balloon of Baby Yoda, like a float Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade balloon. Right now. I'll have to change that eventually, but I like just weird images that aren't me. (laughs) For a long time, I had a pineapple owl. Okay. A pineapple owl, if you will. Yes. (laughs) So I'll have to find something else because that's old now. Okay, good. Well, maybe by the time this comes out, it'll be something else and this will be old news. Well, Stephanie, thank you so much for joining. This was lovely and insightful. I learned a lot. I'm sure the listeners learned a lot. Is there anything that you would like to promote to them? I'd like to thank you, Mike, for devoting two years of your life to this and to, you know, building your fan base, to encouraging reading of the books and just enjoyment of this world. So we're really appreciative. No problem. No problem. The The pleasure has been all mine. And I, every now and then I have to wake up and sort of pinch myself that I get to do this as a job. It's pretty sweet. And as I was saying before, man, oh, man, is it pleasant to do just a, a nice book series multiple series is written by nice people with nice people working in the production just uh, it's it's just you make my life nice and easy it's really fun so good vibes all around that way about my job too (laughs) that's great that's great what should people look out for i guess you know sun and the star is already out chalice of the gods coming out what's the release date the chalice of the gods comes out on September 26th of this year. All right. And on his tour that week, we'll be making some fun announcements that people can look forward to. Exciting, exciting stuff. Well, Stephanie, thank you so much for joining listeners. Thank you for listening. And until we cross paths again, maybe once I start reading Heroes of Olympus, maybe uh, maybe I'll, I'll send you some messages and stuff if I find a joke and we'll double check to see if it was one that you snuck in <laughs> until, <laughs> until we cross paths again. I'll pursue you later. there. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The New Olympian. This podcast is created, hosted, and produced by me, Mike Schubert. I also run the social media and the website. Our editor is Sherry Guo. The music is by Bettina Campamanes and Brandon Google, and the art is by Jessica E. Boyd. If you want to be a part of the show's community, you can find us on social media. We're at News Olympian on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. There's also a subreddit, reddit.com slash r slash The News Olympian. And then there's also the Discord that you get access to by joining any tier of the Patreon over at thenewsolympian.com slash Patreon. If you want to get some TNO merch, you can go to thenewsolympian.com slash merch. And if you want to support the show, and as a thank you get access to a whole bunch of bonus content, you can do that at thenewsolympia.com slash Patreon. Speaking of that Patreon, let's give a shout out to our producer level patrons, Kelsey Gillespie, The Dance Team Nuggets, Vicky Garcia, Ellie Hauskovchova, Veronica Bartova, Haley Hastings, Robin Garcia, Frida Vickstrom, Megan Moon, Craig McRoberts, Taylor Payne, Giselle Salvador, Peter Johnson, The Twins, Sabrina Balsiger, Bony Pony, Casey Williams, Polly Burge, Nikki Harris, Tatiana Schmidt, Sandra Rose, Josh Sayre, Josh Wilkie, Abby Ryan, Wise Girl, Ashton Gabrielson, Marco Redhouse, Caden Max, Sam Sam Reeby, Riley Kiddas, Mary Kelly, Audra, Mrs. O'Leary, Rodith Kalna, Milo Kim, Harlan Christ, Cece Reed, 
23, Sandkoff, Julia Kendall, Emil Oscar Thomason, Liz Cardigan, Sarah Neal, Ricky, John Drillsmo, Rayla Matthews, Riley Draken, Luna Cadoon, Sky Mallory, Elizabeth Obermiller, Aiden Parziani, Biggest Tyson Fan, Hunter Landstrom, Captain Jack Rackham, Sky Captain and the Princess, King Bastion, One Damn Distraction coming up, Ethan Robinson, Ginger Spurs Boy, Joshua Aid, A Cup of Solace, Meg Roy, Lux, Neil, Will Buchanan, and Olivia Kranicki. If you want to support the show in a non-monetary way, simply talking about the show is so helpful. Word of mouth is huge. So you can tell someone that you know who loves Percy Jackson about the podcast, or you can talk to someone who's looking for an excuse to finally get into the Percy Jackson books about it, or someone who's maybe getting hyped for the TV show that's coming up and they want to understand what's going on. Or you could post about the show on social media, or you could leave us a rating and review on whatever podcasting app you're using. All these things really do help. I'm very appreciative to everyone who has already done so and to anyone who will do so in the future. But I'm just so thankful that you tuned into this episode and I hope you tune into our next episode where we will be back covering The Last Olympian, this time finishing up chapter 16 and getting into a good portion of chapter 17 with the folks from the Monster Donut Podcast live in Hartford, Connecticut. But until then, I'll pursue you later. Hey everyone, how's it going? It's me, ASMR Mike. So here in the Shubio, I have a USB drive that I use sometimes for moving files around and it is in the shape of a Converse shoe. So of course I call it a shoe SB. And if you take the shoe SB little like electronic part out of the rubber holder, it makes a little like noise. So I'm going to try doing that near the microphone and hopefully that comes through. So I'll just do that a couple of times. Oop, that didn't work. Thank you so much for listening. With Lucky Landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.